February 2nd, 2014. Like many of you, my head popped off the pillow that day. It was a day I knew that I would never forget. It was a day that I'd been looking forward to for the past two weeks. Um, no, it was, it was not my wedding day. Um, the Broncos were in the Super Bowl. I had, I had my wings going, the bean dip was prepared, and the confetti was just ready to fall in my house. I invited friends and family over, and we were ready for that game. Many, many of you were too, being Colorado people. And if you'll remember, the Broncos were playing the Seattle Seahawks, Super Bowl 48, and on the very first drive that the Denver Broncos have, had our center hiked it over Peyton Manning's head for a safety for the other team. And from that point forward, it was sheer pandemonium. You remember that? I mean, my head popped off the pillow that day with the highest hopes imaginable. And two minutes into the game, I thought to myself, this is not going to go well for us, right? I wonder if Jesus' disciples felt the same way that Sunday morning. See, they'd gone to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. They'd gone to Jerusalem, as we'll read, that with, with hopes high. They'd gone to Jerusalem with anticipation, and they were leaving Jerusalem. They were on their way home with as high as their hopes were going their hopes were equally as low leaving. And they left Jerusalem, uh, Cleopas, as we just read, and, and an unnamed friend of his. Many scholars think that it might have been his wife. John chapter 19 suggests that, but we're not sure. They're heading from Jerusalem, though, to Emmaus. It's interesting because Jerusalem was the place of the Israelites' hope. It, it was the place of their faith. It would be the birthplace of the church. Cleopas and his traveling companion are unable to get to the place where they can accept the story that they've just heard. That the, that the grave is, is empty. That, that even angels have come and declared it and their hopes are so low that they can't even hear the best news that they would ever hear. And so they leave Jerusalem they, they leave the resurrection, and they go home. They go to Emmaus, this little village seven miles away from Jerusalem. It's the place of worldly consolation. It's, it's the place where you cash in your chips and think, well, that was a nice story, and if only it were true, wouldn't that be nice? Unfortunately, life doesn't go like that, does it? And so the story that we've just read is built around directions. Cleopas and his friend leaving and going away from the very place that could heal their soul. They're walking away from the dream. They're walking away from their faith. They're walking away from everything that would make their soul come alive. And they're walking away distraught because their hopes were high. And they've been absolutely dashed. See, Cleopas and his friend, they, they make a decision, not just about that day, but they made a decision about their life. We can't hope in something as crazy as resurrection. And when they walk from Jerusalem 
to Emmaus, they're thinking that the story was over. The whole story is built around directions. And the truth of the matter is, friends, that for you and I, the, the direction that we walk determines the life that we live. I mean, think for a moment about the life that you're living and the direction that you're walking. There's a number of things, just like for Cleopas and his friend, there, there's a number of things that determine the direction that we walk. For some of us, we would say that, that faith is one of those main things that determines the, the direction that we walk and the place that we long to go. But for a lot of us, the direction that we walk is determined by the circumstances in our life. It's determined by the events that take place, and, and then, uh, likewise, the way that we process and walk in the events that take place. I mean, if you think about your life, your, your life is determined certainly by, by belief, it's determined by circumstance or event, it's also determined by how we feel about those things and, and our emotions, and it can be so easy, can't it, to decide that we're going to walk in a different direction based on something painful that happens. And so Cleopas and his wife, they, they leave Jerusalem. They walk away from the greatest news they'd ever been told. And the truth for you and I, friends, is that our direction this morning is either leading us towards the resurrection of Jesus or away from it. We're either in that place where we're going, we believe that story, the same story that Cleopas and, and his wife were told but didn't believe. We're, we're in the place of either we believe that story or like a lot of people that were around during Jesus' day, they thought it was an idle tale. Just a nice sort of fairy tale that, man, we all wish was true, but we know deep down it isn't. So here's my question. What, what direction are you walking this morning? Where's your conviction? Where's your belief? Where, where does it lie? And what direction are you walking? I want to explore with you what it looks like to walk away from the resurrection. It's all in this story. Luke chapter 24, 17 through 20. It says it like this. That Jesus comes up to him, uh, Cleopas and, and his wife, along the side of the road. And he says to them, what's this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking, what, say it with me, sad. Well, sure. Um, the Broncos just lost, right? I mean, the, the story's over. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Okay, quick time out. <clears throat> After the story, isn't he going to think back to himself, whoops. I mean, this is the undercover boss going in and being told he's a terrible boss, right? <laughs> Jesus coming up alongside of him and one of his disciples saying, are you the only idiot around that doesn't know what's gone on? Where have you been? You've been buried under a rock, right? So like, was... <laughs> Let's close in prayer. That was... didn't plan that. I mean, I'm surprised that Jesus at that point wasn't just like, bye, Felicia, we're done here, right? 
Like, let's move on to somebody else. No, so here's what they say. Here's what they say. Haven't you heard? Haven't you heard that, that Jesus, the hoped-for Messiah, was condemned to death and, and they crucified him? See, see, here's what the road away from Jerusalem, away from resurrection, looks like. It, it, it looks like death. And see, if, you, if you're in this place this morning and you've, you've buried somebody who, who you love, or you're in this place and you've buried, you've buried a dream that you had, you buried a marriage that you hoped for, you buried a job that you thought was going to be the thing for you, if you've buried a loved one, if you've buried a dream, you know that road of Emmaus, don't you? That thought that, man, everything that I'd thought about my life is now completely different. We know that road. We know that Emmaus road, that road heading from Jerusalem seven miles to the west. We, we, as human beings, we understand that road and we understand it all too well, don't we? And the truth of the matter is, friends, that the pain that we experience in life can so easily determine the direction of our life. It can determine the direction that we walk. As they continue to walk down this road, here's what they tell Jesus. They say to Jesus, well, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. We'd hoped that he was the one, that this, this thousand-year-old story, we had hoped that he was going to be the climax, that he was going to be the point. Our hearts were in this. Our heads were in this. We saw him heal the blind. We saw him heal the sick. We saw him raise other people who were dead. And all of our hopes were tied up in this man. The scriptures are interesting. They say that they were kept from recognizing him. We don't exactly know how or why they were kept from recognizing him, but it seems to me that God was at work in blinding them, but also they had no category for a Messiah who would come and die. They, they had no category for a king who would reign in the way of love rather than in the way of authority and power. So certainly God was at work, but so were their categories. They, they couldn't see this type of Savior. They couldn't see this type of God. And so along this Emmaus road, they had hoped. But those hopes were now in the past tense. And so they're walking in this despair. This place that, that I'm guessing you've been. They, they hoped that he would be the rabbi who would teach them the way. They'd hoped that he would be the friend that would stick by their side. They'd hoped that he would be the one to bring all of the hopes of this nation of Israel and all of the pieces of the story of God. They'd hoped that he would be that person. And as they leave Jerusalem to walk towards Emmaus, they're making the decision that hope is now in the past tense. And now it's despair. We've walked the Emmaus Road. We've walked that road of, I thought it was going to turn out like this, and it didn't. 
And not only that, but, but it was worse. If, if you haven't walked that road, all you have to do is, is turn on your TV. I mean, in the last two weeks, you think of the different circumstances around our globe that so, could so easily weigh us down with despair. Last Sunday, there's a, a bombing where 21 Coptic Christians gathering for worship in Egypt are killed. A few weeks ago, there's a chemical warfare attack in Syria where over 70 people die and dozens more have their lives changed for the next decades. I mean, friends, if Easter doesn't speak to these issues, Easter doesn't speak to anything. If it doesn't meet us in this place, this place of we had hoped it was going to go a little bit different, but, but it isn't, then it doesn't speak to anything. And Jesus, walking along with his disciples away from Jerusalem, says to them, Oh, foolish ones. I mean, don't you just love Jesus? He doesn't really mince words, does he? He's like, well, if you called me a moron, I'm going to return the favor. Are you the only one to not know what happened in Jerusalem? You foolish ones. Are you so slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken? You had all the pieces, you had all the puzzle pieces right in front of you. You just didn't see how they fit together. My, um, my youngest son, his name is Reed, he's four years old right now. And he knows that we are going on a family vacation to Disney World in Florida this summer. <laughs> he knows that we're going in the summertime. He knows that we're going when he's four years old. He knows that we're going to go when it's warm outside, and he knows that we're going to go when the other kids are done with school. You'd be surprised how many crossovers there are between those four things that are true and real and every other day of the year, right? So we wake up, if it's warm outside, are we going to Florida today? We wake up, he asks, how old am I today? Well, you're four years old. Are we going to Florida? Right? So he's got all of the pieces and zero understanding. And he's got all of the facts right, but he does not understand the plan and he does not understand the story and the way that it all fits together. And Jesus' comment to the disciples is the exact same. You've read the prophets, you've read the scriptures, you, you get it, you just don't understand that the meta-narrative above it all is that God's gonna enter the story and he's going to give his life to redeem humanity. You've missed the part of understanding. You knew all the facts. You just didn't get how it all fit together. And isn't it interesting how much our understanding can affect our hearts? Isn't it fascinating that when we're, we're off course or, or we, we have no category for what God is doing in our life, it's so easy to come to the place where we say, God, if you're real, then fill in the blank, right? Or God, if you love me, well then, and we fill in the blank, then you would have done this or you would have done that. And just like the disciples, we can come to this place, heading away from the resurrection, doubting the plan of God, Wondering how all these pieces fit together to tell the story of a God who loves humanity and is in the process of redeeming and restoring all things. We can know the facts and still doubt the truth of it.
That, that's where the disciples are. Are you, are you so slow to believe? Okay, so this is the road away from Jerusalem, the road towards Emmaus. And here's the signposts along the road. Death, despair, and doubt. And this is the place that Jesus meets his disciples. This is the place where the risen Messiah comes alongside of them and reveals who he really is and reveals his redemptive plans. This is the place, the place of death and despair and doubt, where Jesus meets them and turns them around. See, we want to meet Jesus on the mountaintop, but most of the time, the reality is we meet him in the valley. We meet him in the doubts. We meet him in the despair. We, we meet him in the death. That's where our eyes are opened to, oh my goodness, God, even, even though this terrible thing happened and I never would have chosen it, you're still good and you still love me and you're still for me. See, if we were to drill down in each of our lives today, here's what I think we would find. I think we would find that we don't necessarily have problems that we need to fix. We have directions that we need to change. Uh, we, we need to meet God in, in the midst of the doubt, in the midst of the despair, in the, in the midst of the death. We, we need to see him in those places because when it all comes down to it, when it's all said and done, we don't necessarily care about fixing all the problems. It's that hope piece, isn't it? It's the direction piece, the, the life that we're living and the way that we're heading. See, see, for these disciples, listen to the way it says it in verse 33. Once they recognize Jesus, he meets them along this road. It says in that same hour, most likely it was in the evening, because they've just eaten dinner with Jesus, and he's broken bread and they've seen him. That very same hour, they, well, okay, say it with me, church, returned to Jerusalem. You're not as excited about it as I am, and that's okay. It's okay, I get it. But when they return to Jerusalem, here's what they're saying. They're saying that our hopes are not dead. That the resurrection that we heard about, that story we heard about, it actually happened. So we're going to travel this road probably at night. We're going to risk our lives because we believe that that story is true. And when we believe that that story is true, it changes everything. That very same hour, seven miles Roughly three hours of walking just to go back to the place of pain and just to go back to the place of death and just to go back to the place of despair and breathe a word of life. They turn around. They turn around. They're, they're on the road to Emmaus heading west, heading towards the sunset, and they turn around and they head east towards the sunrise. It has been said that Christians are people who head not towards the sunset, but towards the sunrise, because we believe that a new day is dawning. We believe that life is breaking forth from death. We believe that our God walked out of the grave, and so we're not heading towards the sunset, towards the end. We're heading towards the sunrise, towards a new beginning. And when we turn towards resurrection belief, 
We choose God's future. And so the direction you're walking today today is determining a future for you. If you're walking away from resurrection hope, that's determining a future for you. And the early followers of Jesus, they said, no, 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 no. Regardless of how far we've gone and regardless of where we find ourselves, we can turn around. We can turn around because there is hope. Um, The Apostle Paul, in one of the first letters he wrote to the churches, he said this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, For I delivered to you as of, say it with me, church, first importance. As if to say, don't miss this. This is his way of saying, look up at me. Okay. (laughs) What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was, say it with me, raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Yeah. They're going, this is our story. This is our song. That the resurrection of Jesus has power, has explosive power in our lives, not just on that day when our bodies like Jesus's will be resurrected, but today. Because the direction that we walk determines the life that we live. And when we choose resurrection direction, we choose to live in God's future rather than the future of the crucified Jesus, we live in the future of the risen Jesus. And look at how all these pieces start to come together on the road to Emmaus. It says, and he said to them, "Um, how foolish you are. You didn't believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I mean, wouldn't you love to have been a part of that Bible study? I mean, if you're, if you're Cleopas and you're a, a teacher or a, a leader of Bible studies, don't you after that go, well, that just ends every Bible study ever. We just need to, just, let's just camp there. Here's what Jesus is saying. Every single plot line in the Bible connects in him. That the entire story from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation is declaring one thing, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the king, that he has come to reign, and that he has redeemed and is in the process of redeeming his people. I mean, think of being a part of that Bible study. John Calvin, the the great reformer, he writes, and I'll paraphrase what he says about this idea. He says that Christ, he's he's the new Isaac, the beloved son of the father who was offered as a sacrifice. Nevertheless, he did not succumb to the power of death. He's the new Jacob. He's the shepherd who has such great care for his sheep which he guards. He's the sovereign lawgiver Moses, writing his law on the tablets of our hearts by his spirit. He's the faithful captain Joshua, leading his people out of the promise la- into the promised land. He's the strong and powerful Samson, who by his death 
overwhelmed his enemies. He is the victorious and noble King David, bringing by his hand all rebellious power under his submission. He's the magnificent and triumphant King Solomon, governing, governing his kingdom with peace and prosperity. He's the lamb that was slain, not just to cover sin, but to completely remove it. Can you imagine being a part of that study? See, John Calvin said it like this at the end, if one were to sift through the law and the prophets, he would not find a single word which would not draw us and bring us to Jesus. See, see at South Fellowship, if you're, if you're wondering, hey, what's this church all about? That's what we're all about. We're all about Jesus because that's what the scriptures are all about. They're all about Jesus. So we study the scriptures, but we follow Jesus. We study the scriptures because we want to worship Jesus. We study the scriptures because we believe that in Jesus' words, there are life, life abundantly and life full. So the early disciples, they, they doubt, and then he gives them this nice little Bible study. And then it says, and when they were at the table with him, he took the bread he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them, and say it with me, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. <laughs> They're going, oh yeah, this is, this is what the story's all about. It's, it's all about you, Jesus, the, the one who would not just come to rule with an iron fist that would come to lay down your life. This is what the story's all about. And they enter into this place, not of doubt anymore, but the road back to Jerusalem that we choose God's future and turning towards resurrection belief. It starts to awaken our faith. I love this. If you were to go and you were to read this section of scripture, you'll see that phrase, their eyes were opened. I think what Luke is doing is he's giving sort of a wink and a nod to another meal in the scriptures that people would have recognized. Those who'd been around the story, they would have gone, huh, so we're at a meal and our eyes are opened. They would have thought, well, that reminds me of, of another story. In fact, it reminds me of the very first story about a meal in the scriptures. See, in Genesis chapter 3, we, we see that Adam and Eve are told not to eat one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they disobey God. And this is where the curse that Jesus comes to reverse, this is where the curse enters into humanity because they take it and they eat. And it says, and then the, will you read it with me, church? The eyes of both were opened. Oh, so if you're reading Luke, talking about a meal where bread is broken and eyes are opened, you're going, oh, wait, that reminds me of the story where their eyes are opened. But this opening of eyes was distancing from God. This opening of their eyes was, oh my goodness, now we live in a world where the design is fractured and the distance is now unobtainable. We, we can't make it ourselves. That's what that opening of eyes meant. And see, now when they break bread, their eyes are open. The first meal brought death, but this meal, this meal brings life. The curse of death has been broken through the breaking of his body. The resurrection of the dead. And God's world is now brimming with the hope of resurrection, with new hope, with new possibilities, with new 
destiny. And this is where their turn starts. They go, yeah, Jesus, our eyes are open. We see you and we believe you. And here's what they say. They said to each other as they're sitting around this meal, I mean, how did we miss it? Did not our hearts burn? Was your heart burning when he was telling you that story? And they're going, oh yeah, my my heart was on fire when he opened up Moses and the law and the prophets. And see, Christianity is always more than an emotional experience, but it's not less. Jesus meets us in all of our humanity. He stirs not only our minds, but, but our hearts to engage him, to to walk with him, to follow him. He woos us as he speaks to our hearts. So here's the thing, here's the thing. If you're here this morning and you've been around this story, you know all the facts, but maybe, just maybe, you sense, man, God, this, I, I need this to be true for me, and he's saying it is this morning, you may be having that same type of an experience because he does that. That's the way that he works. He stirs not only our minds, but, but our hearts Here's what's happening. They're moving from the place of doubt to the place of faith. They're moving from this place of despair to this place of of hope. Notice how subtle the shift has to be to turn from despair to hope. See, the, the term that they used to talk about their despair or we had hoped was they crucified him, but we'd hoped that he was the Messiah. Now, if you turn it just a little bit and make it, they crucified him, and that is how he became the Messiah and how he redeemed Israel. Well, then, that changes everything, does it not? It stirs our hope. See, God was unwilling. Here's the beautiful thing about this story. God is unwilling to solve the problem of pain and death and sin from a distance, He's an incarnate, intimate God who does not solve it from the distance, but solves it from inside. He steps into it. And by his very blood and by his very life, he heals us. So if you're here this morning and you're going, hey, Paulson, why in the world should Jesus walking out of the grave 2,000 years ago stir hope in me? I'm so glad you asked that. Here's why. Because in walking out of the grave, he takes your weakness and he gives you his strength. He takes your guilt and he gives you his grace. He takes your pain and he gives you his promise. He takes your sin and you get his righteousness. He takes your defeat and he hands you his victory. He takes your despair and he gives you his joy. He takes your death and he gives you his life. Welcome to the hope of the resurrection, that in him, the story is not done. And when we move in resurrection direction, we start to have our despair turned into hope because we know a God who's worthy of our hope. So I I just, I, I will passionately invite you this morning to recklessly put your hope in him because he's worthy of it. And here's their message. They go back, they go back seven miles that same night, and here's what they say. They tell their friends, the, the story's true. I, I can't explain it all, but but we, we met him on that road. 
that, that all of our hopes are found in him, that death didn't get the final say, that the Lord is risen indeed. And they say, oh yeah, and he appeared to Peter too. As if to say, you can never be too far gone. You can never be too messed up. You can never have such a dark mark next to your name that the cross of Jesus is unable to redeem it. And so they move from death to life, from despair to hope, from doubt to faith. This is the turning that happens when they say, oh, we don't need to stay in Emmaus now. We can go back to the place of crucifixion. We can go back to the place of death. And we can recognize that it's in that place that our God speaks life. So, so if, you've, if you've lost a loved one, like I have, man, this day is significant, is it not? I, I prayed with somebody just this last week, a person from our congregation who was close to taking her last breath. And as we prayed for her, we just spoke resurrection over her life because it's true. That sin does not get the final word. Does, death does not get the final say. And that's true of our lives someday in the future. And it's true of your life today. If you've made some bad decisions like Peter and you've walked away, this story is for you. If you've buried some dreams and life turned out nothing like what you'd hoped or dreamed or expected, this story is for you. Because resurrection power is not just something for someday, it's something for today. The weak are made strong. The ashes are turned into beauty. The mourning is turned into joy because resurrection declares that the end of the story is never the end of the story. That God is at work and he gets the final word and the final word is love and the final word is his goodness and the final word is life and the final word is resurrection. I don't know what road you're walking down or what direction you're going along the road of life. I only know this, that a turn towards resurrection changes everything. And I think there's some of us in this room today where God's inviting you to make a turn. See, we don't have problems we need to solve. We have a direction we need to change. And some of you, the direction is, man, I, I need to put my faith in Jesus today. It's a game. It changes everything. And maybe today is, is, Jesus, I need you. I'm turning towards hope. I'm choosing hope today. I'm not living in depression. I'm not living in anxiety. I'm not living in sadness and sorrow anymore. Today I'm choosing that the resurrection can speak a better word over my life. Maybe that's your turn today. And maybe your turn is simply to believe that this God speaks life where there's death. See, today... It's not just their turn along the road to Emmaus. Today, it's your turn. It's your turn. The road you're walking, but I think Jesus is inviting you to turn around and walk towards him. I want to share with you a story of somebody from our church who, who made this turn. And as you watch her story, would you ask God what turn He's inviting you to make in your life. Will you guys roll that for us?
My name is Rhonda, and I've been coming to South Fellowship for about 18 months now, October of 2015. Um, when I graduated from high school, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, so I answered an ad in the newspaper and joined a rock band and um, traveled the country a little bit with this band and played in clubs. And um, through that band, I started a relationship with a bass player. After a period of time, um, I became pregnant and we had a little girl and um, decided that we should grow up and get married. And we, we did and um, we had premarital counseling and through our premarital counseling, we joined the church. God opened up another opportunity and we um, attended another church and he was asked to come on full time there. So we became a family serving God. It was just wonderful to be doing what God created you to do and I loved every minute of it. And then um, one day, out of the blue, after nearly 20 years of marriage, I got a phone call. It was an old boyfriend from high school. I'm, you know, happily married for 20 years. I've got three kids, and you know, that was pretty much the end of the phone call. And he said, at, at the end, he said, um, "Well, if ever things change, call me." <laughs> and. I don't know why, but three days later I called him back and began a phone relationship for about a month before I went and met him and began an affair for about another month. I, I knew better. I knew I was sinning. I knew, I knew all of it, you know, but I still chose um, to be selfish. I just, I bit hard on a lot of lies. <laughs> and then I was caught <laughs> and I was confronted. My husband was completely shocked and devastated and I wouldn't accept phone calls or anything. And I ran out to um, my boyfriend's house and the next day after all this happened, um, an email went out to the entire worship arts um, ministry, which is about 90 people. and spelled out what had happened and it was so humiliating and I was so full of shame. You know, people that had looked up to me and, you know, that I had prayed with for them, <laughs> you know, and here I was. So, yeah, we got divorced and I began a life um, with the boyfriend. My relationship with the church after that was non-existent. I just, I didn't go back to church except for an occasional Christmas service at some obscure church that, <laughs> that no one would know me. <laughs> um, my son Joe just wanted to attend um, South with his, with his friend one day. He'd been attending another youth group and his friend invited him to attend and so, and I, I walked, I walked in and, and I just remember feeling like, uh, does anybody know me? Does anybody recognize me? I just don't want anybody to just, I felt such judgment coming from, from people, from the church, and I didn't want anybody to see me and judge me. I was sat in the very back and just um, the music played and I don't even remember what songs it were anymore, but it was, but it was, I just couldn't hold back the tears um, and I just I just felt 
God turning me around. You don't have to go that way anymore. You, you can come back. For a few months, it was just, it just felt like I'm just slowly drinking a glass of water finally, <laughs> you know, just finally getting rehydrated. Um, things just started to become clearer to me. I started to pray. I started to ask God. I started to seek Him, started to read. God has shown His grace through so many people to me through all of this with coming back to Him. Um, every one of my children, um, they have all encouraged me, um, forgiven me, cheered me on. They're just, they've been amazing. And my ex-husband Todd and his wife Linda, the grace that they've been able to show is just, <laughs> it can only come from God. It, it changed my shame and my guilt into um, just regret. The most surprising piece of the journey of grace, God was nudging me to get back into worship. My daughter Molly had been on my case for a long time, Mom, you need to get back to it. You need to get back and sing again and do what you were made to do, you know, and I just always told her, you know, Molly, that part of my life is over, I think, you know, it's just, that, that part's in the past. I met with Ryan and said, hey, would you have a problem with me just speaking to Aaron to see if maybe I could begin to participate a little bit, and I received more grace there. It feels amazing to sing again, it just, and to not have to be anonymous about it anymore that I can, I can let everybody know. This is what God's done for me. You don't have to go that way anymore. anymore. You, 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 can, you can come, come back. back. And I've come back. You don't have to go yeah. that way. You don't have to go that way anymore. You can turn around. You can come home. The arms of our God are wide open. And if you think you're too far gone this morning, I just want to tell you that there's an empty grave that tells you you can never be too far gone. If you think you've screwed up too much to be a recipient of God's grace, I just want you to know that when Jesus came out of the grave, he came holding the keys to death and Hades, and he has said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And when you turn to him, both are yours in him. This morning, it's your turn. It's your turn. What turn is Jesus inviting you to make? Is it the turn of putting your faith in him for the first time? I just want to encourage you, if that's where you're at this morning and you sense this stirring in your heart, that's the spirit inviting you home. That's your turn this morning. You can just pray simply, Jesus, I put my faith in you. I turn back to you. I believe in your resurrection, and I believe that your death conquered my sin. You're my Lord. You're my God. My faith is in you. And maybe it's a turn out of despair this morning and your turn is, God, I believe that there's hope. Would you show yourself faithful? And maybe your turn is, I no longer have to fear the fact that I will one day take my last breath in this earthly body because Jesus has promised it will not be your last breath. 
It's your turn this morning. It's your turn. I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward, and they have just a little something for you to remember whatever turn God's inviting you to make today. They have little buckets. One of them is a purple bucket. One of them's yellow, and they each have bracelets in them. The purple bucket has larger bracelets, so if you're larger, you can take one of those. The yellow buckets have smaller bracelets. You can just remember yellow, younger, smaller, okay, usually, okay. So you can take one of those, but this is a reminder of this is my turn, the turn God's inviting me to make this morning. Let's pray. So Jesus, for the people in this space that you're inviting to put their faith in you, would you just draw them and confirm that in their heart today? For all of us, Lord, the direction that we walk determines the life that we live, and we want to choose to walk in the direction of the resurrection because we know that it's in that direction that we walk into your future, where faith overcomes doubt, where hope overcomes despair, and where life overcomes death. Jesus, this morning we thank you for the fact that you walked out of the grave. We can turn and walk towards you. And we do this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.